A few weeks back, we had a lot of fun uh, devoting an entire segment to Bishop Caggiano answering listener questions. And we have the best listeners. So uh, you guys sent in a bunch more questions. We're going to spend the whole hour today with His Excellency answering questions directly from you. So stay tuned. We are here on your radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM. And we're on your phone with the Veritas mobile app, which you can get at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. And as always, Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, I'm wounded, but I'm here, right? It's good to see you. Don't ever fall off a ladder. It's not pretty sight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I think um, this warrants a little bit of a story, Excellency. Yeah, well... What happened? Well, we chatted before we started the tape, but basically I was... I just... I don't know. I just stepped off the ladder and I missed the step and I went flying and I had an open can of paint in my hand. And to avoid that, avoid spilling the paint, I twisted and and of course at 64, I can't twist and contort anymore like I used to. And I landed on my side and I think I bruised my kidney, whatever. It was just, I wound up in the emergency room. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yep. So as this taping, I've had no sleep. So if I'm incoherent... It's all your fault. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. Uh, I guess as a married man, I'm used to hearing that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, um, I'm sure no, no, you're going to get a lot of prayers. No, yeah. no, thank you. No, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. Only the good die young. We're fine. <laughs> we have a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the good thing is today should be a lot of fun, I think. Yes, it will. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a, I had a bunch of folks tell me um, after the first time we did this, which was uh, we spent uh, a long segment just answering listener questions. Yep. A bunch of folks told me that they thought that that was fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly fun to, to record as well. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that episode led to us getting a bunch more questions good. from more listeners since then. So we'll just kind of... Roll through and and tackle those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely, and, and I would encourage people to send in questions because chances are, if you have a question, someone else has the question. It could be many people who have the question, particularly things like regarding faith. And then if they're just fun questions, it just it's it's yeah, it gives a, a human face to everything we're doing. We're we're doing this for a while now. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, and I like that you said that because um, we do. We continue to want listeners to yeah. send questions in, and we have we have a nice mix. Yeah, fun I, I and theological. Segment, let's stump Steve. That's what we want. <laughs> that, that would be a really short, quick segment. No. 
Oof. All right. So should we dive in, yes, Excellency? Of course. Okay. So here's question number one. Even though it's not Christmas, the question came in about Christmas. Mm-hmm. So uh, at, at its heart, here's the question. It says, uh, Bishop Frank, if you were one of the three wise men and the very first Christmas was going to take place on December 25th, 2023, mm-hmm. what would you offer as a precious gift of the times? Well, it's a great question. Actually, it cost me some uh, some some thinking. So let's let's remember the original Magi and the original Epiphany. What was the purpose of the gifts that they gave? Right. So they represented Eastern rulers, and therefore the Gentiles, and they came bearing three gifts: right? gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold as a sign of Jesus's kingship, frankincense of his priesthood, myrrh as a sign that he would die. It's an anticipation of the anointment he would have when he died, which of course did not happen to Jesus. So the gifts are symbolic of who Jesus is. Because remember, as God made man, he doesn't really need anything from us, right? Certainly nothing precious, nothing... So the question then, the way I interpret the question is, what would I give um, to reflect back to the world who Jesus is? Because the gift is meant for the world. And I struggled with this for a long time, to be honest. And I, I was debating between two, two answers. One was to give the Lord a thorn or to give the Lord a lily. Because the world does not recognize who Jesus is by and large. They do not recognize that he came as a savior who was going to suffer precisely to atone for our sins and teaches us that love is self-sacrifice, which involves a suffering and therefore a thorn. Or they don't recognize the fact that Jesus is the savior who has conquered sin and death. We live in a world which is basically in many ways become melancholic, almost morose and wrapped up with all the problems. And every time you hear the news, it's just more problems and there's more difficulties and there's more shootings and, and, and hope is a very precious commodity. And yet the Lord came not just to suffer, obviously, but to rise from the dead and to conquer sin and death. So a lily, And I think in the end, I would vote for the lily because the truth is suffering is inevitable in everyone's life. It's not a question that you could escape it forever. You cannot escape it forever. What you can do is escape making sense out of it and making it meaningful, but you can't escape it. But Mm. hope you can, in fact, escape. And I think so if I were to give a gift that really reveals to the modern world who Jesus is, I would give a lily but the thorn would not be far behind. Does that make sense? Wow. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm glad to see it wouldn't be like a, like an iPad. Well, what would you give or... him? What would you give him? Do you have an idea? Oh, my word. No, I... Uh, Think about it. I, I, would, I would simply have to be like the, uh, like the little drummer boy. Yeah, oh. I I don't have much, but I'll just come and visit you uh-huh. and yeah. worship. 
Well, you know, that. well, that's a, another beautiful expression because at this point in our world, there are too many people who don't acknowledge God or worship him in the true sense, which is offer themselves to love, to love, to know, love, and serve him. So the little drummer boy yeah. is perfect. He has no riches, but he gives of himself. He gives the little he has. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a beautiful image too. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, that is a great question. Okay, so here's an interesting question, Excellency. Number two, it says, uh, in two weeks, we leave for Turkey. Mm -hmm. And one of the stops on the itinerary is Ephesus and Mary's house. Have you been there? Mm -hmm. Is this a site recognized by the church? And is there an explanation of how a widowed young woman from Nazareth, Nazareth <laughs> winds up in Turkey? Well, well, th again, this is a great question. Yes, I, ha I have visited the house of Our Lady, right? Or at least the site of the house of Our Lady in, um, in, uh, in Ephesus. Um, I've also, as we mentioned before, visited the, the site of the council. Now, of course, the actual house of Our Lady is not there. The house of Our Lady is in Loretto in Italy, but the site. Now, multiple layers to this question. First of all, how did Our Lady get to Turkey? The answer to that is on Calvary. Because it was one of the last things the Lord did was give Our Lady to John, the apostle, for safekeeping. Behold your son and behold your mother. Tradition has always held that St. John took Our Lady, right, into safekeeping in Ephesus. So that's where that, and there's, if I remember correctly, there's a replica of the house that Mary would have grown up with and lived in, in Ephesus. But now, there is the story of now the house being transported to Loretto. Miraculously, tradition holds by angels. First of all, when you go to Loretto and you actually see the House of Our Lady, it's very nondescript, I must confess, because it's a stone house, which would have been typical of every house of that age. If I remember correctly, it was about 30 feet by, I'm guessing, 10, 12, 13 feet. So it's, it's tiny. And it had no foundation, as most houses in the Middle East don't. So... The issue is, why and how did it get to Loretto? And so, there are two issues here too. The first is that Jerusalem fell. And therefore, when Jerusalem fell, tradition holds that the angels themselves transported the house. Where I presume St. John and Our Lady lived, and John took care of Our Lady, until he left after Our Lady assumed into heaven, right, to continue his journeys, and including, I think it's uh, Patmos, where he actually wrote the book of Revelation. Anyway, so a lot of people say, oh, come on, transported a house to, to Loretto. You know, you can hear the modern voices saying, you people out of your minds. <laughs> but what is interesting is the stone is Palestinian in the house of Loretto because there is microscopic pollen in the stone that's only found in Palestine. The second is there's graffiti on the house that goes back to the time of St. Helena when she went to Jerusalem 
And she herself must have sought that place, right? So it seems to me that clearly that house was once in the Middle East. And 200 saints in the history of the church have made pilgrimages to Loretto, including St. John Paul II, right? So the question is this, how did she go? St. John really brought her and protected her until the Assumption. And the place where they lived is so sacred that after the area was cut off to the faithful, it came to the faithful and it's still there for people to visit. Remarkable, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, we, uh, I've been to Ephesus as well. And we, actually, we talked about this um, yes. a couple of years ago. Yes. And uh, just a, an unbelievable place right. in general. Right. Hot as all um, blazes <laughs> when I was there. It was in July. Lord have mercy. It's a great way to start a diet. You lose like 10 pounds of fluid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. oh, boy. So this next question that came in, I think, is just uh, really great. Mm -hmm. uh, straight and to the point and important. Um, it just says, how does one find a spiritual director? Mm -hmm. Again, it's a practical question. And one that is not easy to answer precisely because the pool of individuals who are competent and trained to be spiritual directors are, is not plentiful. Right? So in our diocese, we are blessed because we have the, uh, the uh, Ignatian Center right, for spirituality. Well, I guess it's the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality is its name at Fairfield University that is training priests, deacons, religious, and laity to be spiritual directors. And I think at this point, there must be a couple of hundred people who have actually gone through the program. I'm guessing at that, but I would, I would not be surprised. And they are available through the center. So if someone's listening and says, I really would like a spiritual director, the center is the first place at Fairfield University to call. Hmm. The other is, see, and, and this is, a, a, I would think many priests would have the background and the temperament to be a spiritual director. Now, you need both the training and the temperament, that there are some priests who may not have the temperament. So you could also ask your own parish priest if he would journey with you right, in the spiritual life. And I think many would say yes. So there's immediately two pools. And in the, um, uh, the center at Fairfield, there, there are many who are involved. So if you would want, for example, a layperson or a deacon or a religious, whomever, or a laywoman, there's a whole host of people that are there. So it's not as difficult in our diocese as in others, but still with over 400,000 Catholics and presuming everyone is seeking radical holiness of life and presuming therefore everyone would need some spiritual direction. I mean, we have a long way to go to fill that gap. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But this is, uh, how important would you say this is in somebody's, uh, life to find a spiritual director and to have say monthly direction? Okay. Given the fact that we have a realistic situation to deal with is that there are not numerous professionally, if I could use it that, degreed, mm -hmm. certified spiritual directors. 
one should not lose hope. I have had in my life, in addition to my own spiritual director, I've had in my life a number of individuals who have walked with me in the spiritual life, who are extraordinarily holy individuals, insightful individuals, discerning individuals, who are not friendly, we are not friends per se, because spiritual director should not be your friend. That It does not work, hmm. right, that way. Hmm. And if you think that's it, no. I mean, your friends can also accompany you, but who have been extraordinarily helpful to me over the years, in addition to spiritual director. So maybe I'm being greedy that I have a number of people, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> so my, what's my point? My point is there are people in your life, whoever's listening, who may be spiritual companions, not spiritual directors, but spiritual companions can also be very effective because they get to know you, they're honest with you, they could see the signs of the spiritual life and the journey, they can see when things are off, right? When you're out of sorts, when you're losing your temper too much, when you're beginning to, to become impatient, when you're lacking charity, and they'll say, what is going on? That's yeah. spiritual companionship, and that's important. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it's extremely important because you can't work. How can I put this? You cannot walk through life with the presumption that you know yourself as well as you should know yourself. Does that make yes. sense? Yes, totally. Right. Totally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're saying that, Excellency, it occurs to me that a lot of us are, are surrounded by good friends and people in our lives who um, can be and are good spiritual companions, the, the, one of the keys is being humble enough to hear what they have to say and not getting defensive and going with it. Yeah. You see, it, it, right. You see, when, when you go to the doctor, like for example, uh, we were just joking before, I was in the emergency room not a few hours ago. When the doctor came in with all of this stack of papers, I was saying to myself, okay, whatever it is, it is. You're going to hear it, and you're going to, and of course, thank God, there was nothing nothing seriously wrong. Yeah. So you'll you hear the truth from your doctor. You go to your lawyer, right? And if you messed up, he will tell you, these are the facts. You will listen mm -hmm. to that. When you go to a trained spiritual director, the hope would be you will listen submissively to what he or she is going to say to you. Or what's the yeah. point of going? <laughs> right, right, right. But spiritual companions, that requires another level of trust because they may not be, quote unquote, professionally trained. However, if they know you well and are honest, you can easily dismiss their observations than a doctor, lawyer, or trained spiritual director because they're professionals, if I can right. use that term, right? You could, yeah. but many times the companion is more insightful than the director. Yeah, because they know you better, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore, in the end, I think it's it's really a question to your point of your disposition in the first place. Why why do you have him or her? Why why are you what what are you looking for in the end? Affirmation or honesty? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, let's see. This one says, um, how does one offer 
reparations mm-hmm. for Jesus's con- consolation or for an intent. That's interesting. Reparations. That's something we don't hear much about anymore, do we? Hmm. Right. So reparation has all to do with atonement, right? And to satisfy the satisfaction necessary for this, for our sins and the consequences of our sins. We've talked about this before. So I get off this uh, podcast and I call some of my friends and say, you know this guy, Steve Lee, I talked to him, we know each other for three years, we're going to tell you the real school, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Okay. I would never do that, by the way, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Thank and you. so I, I wreck your <laughs> reputation among a few people. Okay. So I'm really sorry. I go to confession and confess to sin. I even may come to you and confess my sin and ask for forgiveness, which is what I should do. Now, having said all that, I created damage that my contrition alone cannot repair. Hmm. Right? I've changed yes. people's attitudes. I've changed their opinions. I've changed their perceptions. All right. So sin creates consequences. And therefore, we cannot undo them. Only God can heal them when all of creation is healed at the second coming. But we can atone for them. Right? We can make reparations. We can do acts of penance. We can do act, offer prayer. We can do uh, works of mercy and charity to make up for the damage that our sins have created. So reparation has fallen out of use in, in, in much of Christianity because it sounds almost as if there's a vengeful God that we have to appease when that is not what's, what is being animated by this. But rather, it's a recognition in justice, because God is merciful, but God is just. And in justice, you wrecked something. It's not that easy simply to say, I'm sorry, because what are the consequences you inherited that you cannot escape? And that's where atonement comes from. So yeah, so I would think the three principal ways to atone would be through prayer, mm-hmm. through works of charity, all right, mercy, and by offering your sufferings. Not to seek the sufferings, but to offer the sufferings. Like, for example, if in the emergency room they said, you know, you have to stay over, that would have been for me a major suffering. Right? Because I could not imagine, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a good patient. For all the doctors pray for me. I am not a good patient. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that's, so, the, it's, so it's a necessary part of Christian life. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, we have time for one more before the break. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Here's the question, Excellency. Do Jesus and the Blessed Mother count the beans when it comes to things like the nine Fridays or the five Saturdays devotions? Or are these ways to get us to go to Mass more Ah, great question. One of the Eucharistic prayers, the prefaces says, you have no need of our prayer. Yet our desire to thank you is itself your gift. Our prayers add nothing to your greatness, but help us grow in grace through Christ our Lord. That's the fourth Eucharistic preface in the common. What is that telling us? That's telling us that prayer really is uh, is the gift that God gives us to mold our hearts to receive the graces he wants to give us. We're not telling him something he doesn't know nor is it magic, 
nor is it some sort of formula to prove our worthiness. So if by the question is implied, counting the beads, meaning that if you hit the mark, some, somehow you get a gift or a prize, then she's this person, he or she is absolutely correct. Is that a lady and our Lord do not count, right? What they do is they offer us these means so that we can mold our heart to receive the graces the Lord wishes to give us. And sometimes they are hard graces. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. You know what? So I think, I think we can squeeze one more in before the break because sure. we're cranking through these. I don't want to lose yeah, momentum. Choose. Yep. Okay. All right. If by some miracle, St. Peter was a guest on this show. Imagine. <laughs> that would have been the interview coup of the century, of the, of the millennia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> After a whirlwind Steve introduction of accolades. 20 minutes later. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and after your standard first question of, in as much as you're comfortable, tell us about your faith well, we journey. Know about wow, that this already. is a good listener. Yeah, I just, we know that about Ray St. Pete. It's all in the scriptures. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. It, it, the question is, what would your first question to him be? Ooh, okay. I'm going to give you the answer tomorrow, but I want to hear yours. So I'm giving you time to think about it. Okay. What fascinates me is all that is not written in the sacred scripture. So we call it the quiet period up to the time of Jesus's, the beginning of his ministry, where nothing much is except for the finding in the temple. And then even in Jesus's ministry, I mean, if you, if you recount all that the Lord did, I'm not sure this two months, two and a half months of activity that's actually narrated or recorded so my mm -hmm. question to St. Peter's would be, what happened the rest of the time? What was a typical day with Jesus? I just, I am, I am just so fascinated with, like, did they get up and say prayers? Did they have breakfast? Did they go for a walk? Did they talk about the Torah? Did they look at scripture? Did they, you know, visit? Did, I would just love to know all those days that are not recorded in scripture. What happened? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have what would you ask St. Peter? Oh gosh. Uh I I should have given this thought. I, I I you know I would ask him uh af after Jesus' death when he first appeared to you Ooh. that very first time. Uh -huh. <laughs> How much trouble did you think you were in? Oh, that's great. That See, you're a father. See, that's that's the kind of question a father embraces, right? <laughs> yeah, I can well, imagine the shame and wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, uh, let's take a break, yep. Excellency, and finish and keep going on the other mm -hmm. side of the break. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that 
they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency, this next question so interesting, uh, something I never would have thought of. It says, is it possible to offer to do volunteer work at the Vatican in any capacity from cleaning the restrooms to dusting the statues to ensuring that his holiness has the correct grated cheese for his ziti? Well, we're making a presumption that he likes ziti and he uses cheese. <laughs> okay. I don't right. use cheese. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought about this. I, I honestly don't think so, but I could be wrong. I mean, I've not heard of it, but I've never been asked it either. And I meant to do some research and I just basically ran out of time. But I think, like, for example, at Lourdes, you could volunteer. At Fatima, I believe you could volunteer. I'm not sure in Medjugorje if you could volunteer or not, right, to be of assistance. Rome, see, the difficulty is security. The yes. difficulty is, you know, getting access in Rome. And unfortunately, it's just a very sad commentary on the world in which we live is that they have to be worried about the safety of the Holy Father in such great detail. Yeah. So I am sure that there are ways to volunteer. But I don't think it's volunteering that gives you any sort of even remote, remote proximity to the Holy Father. Yeah. But there's lots of work of charity in Rome, too. So in that sense, if you extend the works of the church beyond the walls of the Vatican, yeah, then there certainly are. But his right. ziti, I think, is private. Let's put it that way. We're not going to put cheesy ass. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So um, actually, this next question is really good, too. Okay. It says, when there are times you have been in mm -hmm. doubt... Mm -hmm. What makes you most believe? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it the real it, interesting, I guess, doubt what, first of all, is it doubt faith in the church, doubt faith, uh, doubt have a doubt in, um, I don't think, well, the, the, the issues of faith. I've never really been in that position to doubt because to me it makes preeminent sense. And to doubt the Lord has never, that has never crossed my mind. And I'm not saying that boastfully. It has never, I would, that doesn't make any sense to me. It has never happened. 
in any significant way, maybe when I was really, really young. But to doubt the church in the sense of you look at the church and say, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> like the abuse crisis, there were moments when I said to myself, well, you've got to be kidding that we let this happen. Right? I mean, it's like taking a, a, a knife and wounding yourself. So in those moments, yes, I've had doubts. But you see, the very cause of my doubt is the cause also of my hope. You may mm. say, well, what does that mean? Hmm. Well, look at the, the doctrinal controversies we've had. Look at the mess of the Renaissance and pre-Reformation era of the church. Three popes, two anti-popes. One had children, the other was married. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And therefore, those are the reason for doubting, even in our age, the sexual abuse crisis and how poorly it was handled and how, how many lives were so deeply affected. And it was just, a, it was a travesty. It was just horrible. But they are the reasons for the hope insofar as the Lord in his grace allows us to fall on our face, but then we get up. Like as much as there is the, the, the darker moments, there are also the moments of great triumph, if I could use that word, where the church shines so brightly. I saw that at CRS. I mean, anybody's mm. familiar with the work of CRS, the church is at its best. So when I think of, when I doubt, you know, some of what's going on, I remember that the church has endured for 2000 years with all the mistakes and all of the sinfulness of many of its members. The church still is a shining beacon of hope for those who are objectively looking. And that assures me that it has a divinity to it. And that assures me of any doubts I may have about the church. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so excellency, when I read this question, I, um, my thought went to, um, doubt being like, uh, God, where are you right now? Oh, like in your you know? personal life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess because I thought immediately of when, you know, a few years ago when Rula got so sick. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, how could this happen? You know, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's funny you should say that because remember I said to you, summer is a time for reflection. Yes. And it, it, for some reason, like even in the emergency room, the, of course, I was there for six hours, which actually isn't bad for an emergency room. Really? <laughs> Sad to say. No, yeah, blood work and CAT scans and all the rest. Actually, I think they a shout out to the to the people in the emergency, they, and they were very professional, very kind, excellent, excellent, excellent. Anyway, so what do you do for six hours? I should have brought a book, which I didn't do because I was foolish. I wasn't expecting to go. So I was just kind of like in my own thoughts and, and the, my, my mind flooded with all the images of how many days I spent with my mother in, in the hospital for her chemotherapy and then for, um, for her, her checkups that became more frequent as she was having issues with her salt, issues with her blood pressure, and then eventually the time in Calvary. And those were times too, like you had suggested, where you say to yourself, Lord, why? And even now, my mother died at 77. 
And you say, well, why so young? Yeah, so that's a different way of answering the question. But I must confess, it's, I guess, in my case, my mother's faith was was that which resolved any doubt. My mother was totally at peace. I'll never forget it. My mother said, whatever the Lord wills, I will accept. And she meant it. So then I said to myself, if she's willing to accept it, who am I? I mean, who am I to, yeah. right? To, to not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a different way of answering the question. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your favorite Bible quote? Okay, you Excellent answer thing. first. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Come on. What did you think? I wasn't going to ask oh. you these questions. <laughs> There's, so I need to start thinking about my answers to these yes, questions. Yes, you do. You do because in. you're going to be caught on the spot. I'll give you mine first. I'll give you mine. Give you time. Okay. My ultimate Oh, let's do three guesses. My ultimate, favorite, most provocative quotation of all of sacred scripture. In my mind, three, three guesses. Number one. You guess. What am I, what's um, my answer? Uh, gosh. I uh, choose today... Who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, nice. Joshua. Nice. Yeah, maybe in the top 10, but not number one. Okay. <laughs> um, Wait, yeah. You know what my runner-up is? You know what my runner-up is? My runner-up is uh, St. Thomas's quotation. My Lord and my God. Hmm, yes. But actually my favorite is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hmm. That is our faith. Yes. And Amen. to think that God so loved the world when the world didn't deserve it. God so loves me when I don't deserve it is so moving and provocative in my mind. Now, the point is, if there are doubts in my, in my life, it is the moments when I doubt that God could love me that much, even though I'm a wreck sometimes, a complete yeah. wreck. Could he? And then I remember this. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. Mm -hmm. So I, so I, okay. I feel, I feel that way all the time. So I guess mine would, one of mine would be David's response when God told him, you know, I took you from the pasture. I mm -hmm. made you king. Mm -hmm. I cut down all your enemies. I'm making a house for you mm -hmm. and for your family to reign forever. And David just says, who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me so far? Right. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. The Office of Readings, always in the summer, we, we go through the book of Samuel, first, second Samuel, into the book of Kings. The David stories, I think, are so beautiful even though he was actually a murderer and an adulterer. Yes. Yeah. But a man uh, in God's heart, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Right. Which then gives more hope. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. This one. Uh, so this is an important question mm -hmm. comes up. It's um, often a point of controversy with uh, our, 
our Protestant brothers and sisters. So here's the question. It says, it seems like recently there's more of an acknowledgement that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Is this something recognized by the church? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the answer, the short answer to that question is no, the church does not recognize that the Lord had natural brothers and sisters. All right. So we have to make some distinctions here. All right. There are some Christians who who do not believe in perpetual virginity of Our Lady, but do believe that she was a virgin when she conceived the Lord, right, in the moment of the Annunciation. So the real question is, after Jesus was born, did Our Lady have any children, right? But the tradition has always held no. But the scripture says, who are my brothers and sisters, right? Your brothers and sisters are out there. And that is yes. what ultimately is confusing to some people. But it's the English translation of a Greek word that actually is misleading because the word in Greek is adelphoi. And adelphoi means many things. It can mean natural brothers and sisters. It can mean cousins. It can mean relatives. It can actually mean someone with whom you have a distant relationship with. All, the, all of that is wrapped up. Now, you say, well, well that's kind of confusing. <clears throat> well, well, again, like family life is changing now in the contemporary world. It's under tremendous duress. In the time of Jesus and for much of humanity, family meant much more the extended family than the nuclear family. So this idea that grandma lived in one city, uh, son and daughter lived in another, their son and daughter lived it would have been completely foreign to Jesus' time. Mm -hmm. So my cousin, who could live nearby or with me, actually, was not my blood brother, but he is my brother. He's my Adelphoi. So that's basically the context which in the church has always held, that Our Lady's virginity was perpetual. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Not to further confuse it, but um, did you want to also address the idea of this proto-evangelium of uh, where it, it talks about, you know, that um, Joseph having other children before he, which is not church teaching, but before he married Mary. Well, so the older children. Okay. Remember, um, so it's not, it's not a canonical book, but it does raise right. a very interesting social norm. And I've said this before on the podcast in Roman society and in Middle Eastern society, women with or without children who were unmarried would have been subject to the whims of the the town, the village, would have been subject to eventual impoverishment, poverty. And therefore the guardianship, the protection that a husband gave to a woman was really important. Having said that, there is also a, tr a, a tradition in the church, which I don't believe is official teaching either, that St. Joseph, right, was the spouse of Mary, but in the sense that he was her guardian, that he was an older man, Our Lady being a younger woman, and that he loved her. So there was a unitive love, but there wasn't the need for the procreative because God provided the procreation in the incarnation. So it could very well be, I suppose, if Joseph were an older man, that he may have had children in a, a, a wife that 
you know, predeceased him. But I mean, that's all speculation. That's not in the teaching of the church at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I even as I was say, asking that question, I realized I was probably just adding confusion. <laughs> so, well, no, I mean, no, but but some of this is for, whether Joseph had children before uh, the betrothed to Mary is is irrelevant, right? Yeah, to 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 the matters of faith. Our Lady yeah. is different. That's why we have this yes. question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question. If we all have free will, then how does that explain that Judas was destined to betray Jesus? What would have happened if Judas, if Judas, to salvation history, had not betrayed Jesus? Ah, okay. All right, so those are two very separate questions. Let's start with the second. One of the things I remember when I was in the seminary 100,000 years ago was there was an article Carl Rahner wrote that was in my dogmatic uh, theology class. I don't remember the name of the article, but I do remember the point. And basically, Rana's point was that even if there had been no sin, there would have been an incarnation precisely because the fulfillment, all of creation existed in light of the incarnation. So... To go from natural blessedness, which is what Adam and Eve had, to the beatific vision needed, all right, the inbreaking of God's life in the world. So the incarnation. Or some act on God's part. So God had foreseen the fall. God had foreseen the incarnation. God had foreseen the death and resurrection of Jesus. God has foreseen the second coming. Because for God, there is no past and there is no future. So that's really the answer to the question in some way, right? God knows all that will happen. So he knew Judas would betray Jesus. But all of that is free will. It's truly free. It's not because God is saying, well, I know tomorrow he'll do this. No, no. For God, it's all one reality. But it is still free from our perspective, so the incarnation is the divine remedy to the fall. It's really what it is. But if there was no fall, would there have been an incarnation? There are some theologians who say, yes, there would have been. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, was Fulton Sheen an inspiration to you growing up, or who would you say was someone that you admired and tried to emulate? You see, Fulton Sheen, it's, I was introduced to Fulton Sheen in the seminary. I really did not have a real sense of who he was. Because uh, I guess, you know, growing up in an Italian household, my mother would probably never heard of Fulton Sheen, right? And then uh, in more recent times, because on YouTube, this is about everything in creation, you can get a lot of Fulton Sheen's TV shows, which are a stitch to watch if you've never watched them. Yeah. With the blackboard. <laughs> And he has the yes. ferriola. I'm thinking, about, wow, those were the days. Wow. <laughs> right? Um, so he is an inspiration to me now. And I'm still praying that we could go forward with his beatification. Yeah. Right? That seems to have just kind of like stopped. And I'm not exactly fully sure why, but I have my suspicions. But um, so growing up, 
who was my inspiration? It really would have been the, 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 the lives of the saints that I've heard over and over again when I was growing up as a little boy. And the two in particular would have been Anthony and Francis. My mother always mm. told stories about them, always. They were always just kind of like in the air, particularly Francis, for a lot of reasons that we've talked about. It's just, um, just a remarkable story. And yeah. the fact that he could be so radically devoted to Christ still embarrasses me for when I look at my own life, right? even though I carry his name. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, what do you do for fun and relaxation? And Steve, what about you? Well, I'll go first. Before <laughs> yesterday, I loved painting as relaxation. Okay. <laughs> right. But since the, the, the angel of evil just threw me off the, the ladder. Uh, no, actually, I love to paint. And I'm looking forward to going wow. back to, oh, I love it. I love it. This, as I've said many times, in my work, part of the humility that's required for any ministry in the church is that it does not have a true end. We're planting seeds that others see grow. But manual labor, construction, architecture, painting, and of course, all that stuff I can't do. But painting I can do. I just love it. It's, it's mindless. I put on some background music, George Winston, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, on Pandora, some of those channels, you know, Celtic mm -hmm. music. I think Irish music is so beautiful. All that stuff. I just think it's um, – so I do that. Spending time with the kids and my family – I find it very relaxing. Yes. Um, I don't, as I've said, I don't like traveling for relaxation because I don't find it relaxing. I don't like sleeping in new beds. So by the time I get used to the bed, it's time to go home. It was a hassle, get on the plane, <laughs> to fly over there, go to customs, come back, later, go here, there, there. It's a thousand degrees. You're running from place to place. You're trying to figure out how to sleep at night, right? Get your digestion all in order. Then you come home. What? People love it. <laughs> what vacation is this? <laughs> oh, that's funny. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, so for me, um, so my family definitely keeps me busy and and that's fun most of the time. And uh, uh, we like to we like to travel and go places. But I also love to read fiction, nonfiction, biographies. Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's kind of for work, but yeah, also for fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading two books. First, uh, Peter Zine's book, The Accidental Superpower, fascinating book. Wow. He's a geopolitical thinker and the role of the United States and how the United States, because of geography, democ demographics, and natural resources, was destined to be a superpower. And his premises in the coming world disorder as things begin to fall apart because the free trade structure that was created is falling apart, um, the United States will be the only superpower left. It was fascinating. Hmm. And I, that all, that, wow. since my Regis days, I like, and uh, the other book, which I find fascinating is The Ends of the World, Ends in Plural, The Five Extinctions that the Earth has gone through. We are now beginning the sixth extinction of life. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So I like to read too. Yep. For summer affords me some time to read because during the rest of the year, it's kind of catch as catch can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so we we have uh, two more that we can kind of I think get through pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- have you ever been invited to Steve's house for dinner, and what did his wife prepare? Okay, so the answer yes, I was invited. We haven't arranged it yet. We haven't scheduled it yet because you're a very busy man. We <laughs> 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 yeah, please God, uh, and and then the rule is whatever she cooks is fine by me. Yeah, we got peanut butter and so, jelly yeah, sandwiches. Are... You go for the company. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, Excellency. Yeah, we're we we are working on that. I think uh, she, well, I haven't talked to her, but I bet you she's going to make something Lebanese for you. Oh, since that's I her love it. Background. I love it. Okay, and then last question: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Has Steve ever disagreed with you on any topic, or conversely, Steve, have you ever thought, "Hmm, the future Pope Michael is way off on this point," but I'll give a polite yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a moment of conscience. <laughs> uh, first of all, the future Pope Michael, forget it. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, w- I would say, first of all, uh, who am I to ever say or think something like that? To oh, come on. You've got a <laughs> well, I mean, I. And on, on all honesty, um, you've got a lifetime of study. You've decades as a priest. You know you're a success, successor to the apostles, and I'm just a guy. So, um, but if you actually want me to be frank, mm-hmm. actually the answer the answer is still no. <laughs> <laughs> that might surprise some people, but I've never actually disagreed with, uh, with you on anything you said, Excellency. Yeah. I would say in the beginning when we first started this show, and I I didn't know you that well, and you didn't know me that well. There were times when when I thought of a question and I thought that I might have a different point of view on what your answer would be, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then you would answer it in a way that was so wise and full of charity that I kind of just had to say, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. he's right. Well, you know (laughs) what it is? First of all, we have a great relationship and I think we've developed a very good friendship and I'm very grateful. It's one of the great gifts I have in the diocese, Um, but we are different personalities. And we have different perspectives and different vocations. So I think we complement each other very well. And now that we've become much more comfortable, yeah, of course. And and I would be, I've said things along the way that chances are fill in a different perspective than what you have. So it's not that it's right or wrong. It's a different way of looking at things just for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, But yeah. this is a faithful show to the church, right? Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And I, and I will tell you that uh, I, I appreciate what you said. I feel the same way. And I've grown to a place where I would, I do feel comfortable if I did disagree with you on something that I would respectfully of course, let good. you know. Absolutely. And then, because because what it would do, I, really, it would give me, it would give you an opportunity to explain to me, you know, and then I would learn something. So right. And vice versa. Yep. Absolutely. Good. Okay. So let's take... One more break, and we'll come back with another listener question. Okay. (laughs) Be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. 
All right, Excellency. So here's a little change from what we've done this uh, this hour. We're going to have a listener question. There you go. How novel. <laughs> All right. Here it is. It says, uh, Bishop Frank, was Job a real person? It seems awfully cruel to read about God and Satan toying with a man's life. And beyond Job's acceptance and faithfulness in his suffering, how should we read this story? Mm-hmm. Well, th- this was a, this is a, a question that that took a little bit of research. So, remember, history in scripture is not just newspaper factual accounts, uh, but it's the narration of salvation history. The simple truth is, for the majority, the vast majority of rabbis, right in the midrash of the story, have all understood Job to be historically real. And therefore, we have no reason not to think so. So if you say there was an historic figure, and rightfully so, and he suffered such calamities, um, doesn't it seem as if God is um, is like being either is toying with him or is, or is acting in some sort of capricious way? But see, that's mm-hmm. the literary expression of what really happened in the life of Job. Because God is not cruel. But the story is the story of the meaning of suffering before there was a Christ. How do you reconcile the suffering of an innocent person before the death and resurrection of Jesus? And what I have seen in some commentaries is that Job is a question that has no answer. Hmm. Right? Because in the end, the fact that the innocent suffer, God says to Job, who are you? Were you there when you created the heavens and the ocean and the seas and the stars and hold them in place? Who are you? And the answer is, I'm nobody, Lord. But there's no direct answer. Then, Therefore, why did you suffer? Mm-hmm. The answer comes in Jesus Christ. So Job is the question. Christ is the answer. That's where, as Christians, we understand the beauty of of the story of Job, and all those who suffered who were righteous before the Lord, the sense of their suffering comes in Jesus Christ. So the answer oh, is man. yes, he was an historic figure. There's no reason to say he wasn't. Great. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you for today. That was fun. Yeah, it really was. Yep. Yep. And, And before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we ask that your Spirit continue to guide and bless us and those who listen to our conversation in our journey of faith. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be joyful in proclaiming the message of the Lordship of Jesus. And we ask that your Spirit bless us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. See you next week, Excellency. Take care, Steve.